Welcome to Tripper Heads Talk and Tea podcast, an ad hoc series of podcasts with the newsmakers of Hong Kong. On this podcast, Aaron Bush chats with the new Foreign Correspondents Club of Hong Kong President Lee Williamson. Welcome to this episode of Tripper Heads Talk and Tea with me, Aaron Bush. Every now and again, I'm going to chat with those in the news here in Hong Kong, not only about the issues of today, but delve into their backstories, both about the topic at hand and my guest. And our discussions will be over a cup of tea or coffee at a location of the guest choosing. Today, we're in the pool room of the Foreign Correspondents Club Hong Kong in Central, and I chat with a man who has taken the reins here at FCC. After a tumultuous few years for the club, a new president was announced in May of 2023. He is Lee Williamson. Lee, welcome. Thanks, Aaron. Thanks for having me. So we're in the pool room. Yeah. How are you at pool? Um, average. After a few beers, I uh, think I'm better than average. Um, and I'm not. Uh, same, same here. Now... As I just mentioned in the intro, you are the new FCC president. How's it going? Uh, you tell me. <laughs> well, then I should put out there as a disclaimer, I am also a member of the FCC. Mm. I think it's going quite well. I've actually joined a committee and uh, your suggestion as well. Mm. But you're three months in, so that means you're already a quarter of the way yeah. through your um, first year yeah. as president. Um, are you looking to do anything major in your first year as president? A number of different things. So, you know, soon after I was elected, I sent out an email to the membership, which is also pinned, you know, on the notice board, laying out some priorities for um, this year. It is um, an incredibly important year for the club. Um, it's a time of change. It's, time, it's been a time of constant change since 2020. So I laid out what my priorities are. So a number of different things we want to get done. Um, of course, first and foremost on that list was the resumption of issuing press freedom statements. We've issued um, three in the past few months uh, after a silence of, of over seven months. Um, we've worked with HKJA to support um, their submission as an interested party against the injunction to glory Hong Kong, glory to Hong Kong. Excuse me. We started to plan. Um, our journalism conference, which will come back um, in March or April next year uh, after a four-year COVID-enforced hiatus. We're working on a number of different things and just trying to get back as best we can to business as normal under under the new normal. Well, on that point, it was a tumultuous uh, few years for the club with three years of pandemic restrictions plus NSL coming in in 2020. You're taking over the reins from Keith Ridgebrook. Uh, you are a millennial. Um, yep. Are you the youngest president the club's ever had? I don't know. Uh, I'll qualify. I'm what's known as a geriatric millennial, um, which means I'm in the older millennial bracket. Uh, I'm 38. I do like coming to the FCC because it does make me feel young. Um, I don't know. I have actually asked a couple of the um, of the people that are holders of the knowledge uh, at the club, some of the older members, um, and at least this is the first time that they can remember that the president and first vice president are under 40. So. It's um, it's yeah, usually uh, a post taken by someone maybe slightly older than me traditionally. But I'm my profile is is slightly non-traditional in a number of different ways. So you say ge the geriatric millennial, but you are in your thirties at the reins here. Are you bringing a millennial touch to the club? Do you think? <laughs> I like we're going to get onto your job at Tatler, yeah. but where where you have the Gen T stuff and all that stuff for that 
uh, age bracket. You know how old the members are here. And how is that working as a younger president for them? I don't know. I think there are some things, um, whether I'm bringing any kind of millennial stamp, I've never thought about it um, through that lens. But certainly there have been things that I've been introducing, like the use of Google Docs, for example, which are sometimes being treated like I'm bringing in revolutionary new technology, um, which is surprising. Um, in general, I what I'm trying to bring in is just over-communication, transparency, just trying to uh, get our processes up to snuff, just make us you know, professionalize our, our, our operations. Uh, everything from the hiring of a new general manager, which uh, is currently ongoing, to the planning of the journalism conference, just trying to do everything to the highest possible standard that we can. Um, that's what I'm trying to bring into the club. Uh, Part I, of that is maybe slightly millennial in that I'm using technology to do that, but it's certainly not uh, intentional. On that point, I do have a question here. Does being the FCC president now consume a lot of your time? Yes. I basically now have two full-time jobs. Um, unfortunately, only one of them pays my rent. Um, but being the president of the FCC is an incredible privilege and honor and something that, you know, will, I think when I look back one day and I'm taking my final breaths, will be one of the things I look back on as, wow, I achieved that. Um, I got to play a part however, you know, small in the grand scheme of things in this incredible, in the history of this now 80-year institution, which is, you know, one, uh, has always been a civic organization that's played a huge, huge role in Hong Kong life. So, yeah, I uh, I do feel like I have two full-time jobs. It is a big um, commitment. I knew that going in. And so far, um, no regrets. I'm loving every moment uh, of every hour of every day that I'm spending towards um, helping to make this place as strong as it can be. How do you juggle your time? You have a full-time job. You say the FCC president's uh, position is another full-time job, but you're also married with children. So how do you juggle the three? <laughs> it's an excellent question, Aaron. Um, well, first off, I'd say before taking the, the role as, as president, I had, before making the decision, to, to run. I had a number of lengthy conversations with my wife about the implications that this would have on our home life. Just fully eyes wide open to the fact that it would really reduce the time in my life for that third component. There'd be work, which is a constant. There would be FCC, which would have to be a constant for at least a year. The terms here for the board, including the president, are a year. Um, and then there's family. Those are the three things that, that you know, that require my time and attention and where I want to be as present as I can. So we had to go in eyes wide open to understand the fact that this year, that third component may have to shrink slightly. Um, how do I you feel about it? I mean, how old are your children? If I, if I have one kid, he's seven. seven. Yeah. So I ha that's a formative age. My yeah. children are older than that, so I can be here while they're elsewhere at the moment. Yeah. Seven, dad's away working all day, then dad's at the FCC every night and on the weekends doing a podcast with me. Thank you so much for uh, coming in yeah. and uh, helping me. How does he fit? Well, he doesn't know what the FCC is, that's for sure. Um, he knows he goes to work at an office and work on a computer uh, like Daddy Pig uh, in Peppa Pig. Um, you know, so certainly, and in terms of time um, with the kid, that's the thing that I'm not really compromising on, um, especially quality time. I'm focusing on quality time as much as I can and the kind of the, the trash time where you're all just at home but not really spending much time together. There's just none of that anymore. When I'm at home, I'm at home. I'm fully present. I'm fully committed to spending time with my kid and yeah, just being present and just trying to win a dad of the year award whenever I'm whenever I'm with my son. So I just try and limit the the kind of the garbage time, if you will, where you're all in each other's presence but not really fully present with each other. And then when I do 
you know, carve out time for family time, just making sure that's as like rewarding as, as it can be. Now here at the FCC, uh, they have copped a lot of stick on social media over the past few years. How do you feel about that? And how do you respond? I think some of the criticism is wholly justified. I think some of the criticism sometimes speaks to a lack of understanding. Like I can't obviously respond to individual uh, comments. But one thing I will say is that the last couple of years saw a fundamental breakdown of trust between a lot of journalists and correspondent members of the club and also journalists who are not members and the FCC. One of the things that I'm trying to do as president is rebuild that trust. Now, I have a, a handicap in that I'm not a at the coal face of news correspondent. And so I kind of, you know, start somewhat hamstrung in that regard. What I've been trying to do through my actions, through um, the talks that we're hosting, through the resumption of issuing statements, through the resumption of planning for the journalism conference, I'm trying to prove through actions rather than words, this is a place where journalists can come and serious conversations can be had, serious work can be done. We are here to represent this, the journalism community in Hong Kong. Because, yeah, the, the trust was broken. I have been president since the end of May this year, 2023. Uh, I was on the board last year. And I decided to join the board after attending the AGM, which uh, took place just after the, the club decided to uh, cancel the Human Rights Press Awards. Now, I can't speak to that decision because I wasn't in the room. I don't know what information was presented. I don't know what conversations were had. And it's done now. One of the things that I did see was that I don't think it was maybe handled as well as it could have done. I don't think the board at the time were as transparent as they could have been. And me being outside of the room at that time was able to observe that as an outsider. And like, I, did we push this as far as we could? Did we go as far as we could? Did we push back against the line until we thought it was the last possible moment and we were in serious trouble if we didn't do it? I didn't really hear anything about that. You know, we didn't get written legal advice is a common criticism um, that was given, uh, which is something that I've tried to correct with, uh, with the statements. For example, and that was the basis of the non-binding motion that was brought at that AGM, people asking for written legal advice to be sought if uh, fulfilling our mission gave um, rise to real legal risks to the club. Um, and so I saw that and I thought, hey, maybe I can help. I want to get involved. Let me see um, how I can help work towards making this club that I love, that I'm proud to be a part of, um, as strong as it can be. You talked there briefly at the beginning of that about how you're not at the coal face of news. Yeah. Let's talk about TAP. That's where you are. Mm -hmm. It's uh, You're the um, managing editor, if I'm correct, something to... The regional head of regional Gen head. T. And uh, Gen T. Let's talk about Gen T because that's something you helped create, correct? Yeah. I was um, brought on board in 2017 as the first hire. Uh, for this platform for business leaders, entrepreneurs, young leaders making positive impact in Hong Kong and, and, and eight uh, markets across Asia uh, called Gen T. I was the founding editor. And over the past um, couple of years, I've overseen the entire platform as uh, editorial, but also the, the, the business side of it as well. So I oversee um, the growth of this platform in Asia so that it can be a community-focused content and event platform for business leaders, entrepreneurs to learn from one another, to be connected, to be informed, to be inspired. Yeah, on that point, I'm Gen X, so okay. I'm not the target market. So explain it to me as a lazy Gen X exactly how the Gen T system works. So we, uh, our flagship 
um, is an annual list called the Gen T list. We recognize achievement in the last 18 months. We look to entrepreneurs, business leaders, uh, activists, leaders in different fields who are making a positive impact in their country. And we recognize them through this annual list. We It's about a nine-month process to select the, the individuals. There's about 30, 35 from Hong Kong every year, uh, 300 from Asia. We put together a panel of industry experts, which we call the tribe, who nominate these candidates and take part in vetting meetings with them so that we have a number of people who really um, are at the vanguard of what they're doing. We recognize them through this list. Quite a lot of media lists. Um, you come in, take a photo, and that's really the beginning and the end of your journey. With Gen T, getting on the list is the beginning of your journey with Gen T because getting on the list is almost like a Willy Wonka golden ticket into our community. And when you're in that community, we want to add value. We want to, you know, we've recognized your impact through putting you on this list. So then we want to support you. We want to catalyze that impact. You know, we want to create inspiration, connections, and, and, and support you on your journey in any way you can. We do that through, you know, uh, roundtable events where we have discussions with, with business leaders and do peer-to-peer -peer sharing. We do that through conferences, through panel discussions, and also through content. We have our own podcast called Crazy Smart Asia, which is kind of like a how I built this with, with an Asian lens um, and any number of different uh, projects that are there to hopefully inform our readership of entrepreneurs across Asia. And before you said that was 2017, the Gen T project started. Were you in Hong Kong and moved to that? I know you were in Beijing for a time. So where, where was that process? So you were in Beijing with was it Time Out? Yeah, that's right. So I was in Beijing for five years with Time Out. Um, I was the managing editor there for the last few years. Um, I was in Beijing and um, I moved to Hong Kong for this role. Um, I was looking to move south for quality of life reasons. Um, I just had a kid at that point. Uh, my son was born in Beijing. Uh, he was 18 months old and we were just looking for better air quality and uh, freedom of speech. <laughs> and uh, and other things that uh, generally encourage people to move uh, who've lived in the mainland for a while to look for opportunities and, and to move to Hong Kong. So on that, we talked about the Genty Tatler project plus timeout. This is non-traditional media. Yeah. How do you go speaking to the members here at FCC, some of the very old, crusty, old school journalists, correspondents? Yeah. How does that mesh with this new model of um, media? Yeah. Well, first off, I recognize that I got a I got something to prove. I think if I went in super arrogant, they wouldn't really uh, give me a short shrift, and deservedly so. So yeah. I approach all of these conversations with, these are the things that I have to offer the club. These are the things um, where we'll work together. And um, yeah, my day-to-day, -day, I'm not at the cold face of hard news. It is sometimes a little bit left brain, right brain, what I'm doing a tattler what I'm doing with the FCC, which sometimes makes it doubly as time consuming because I have to stay on top of whatever's going on that week in the news as well as, you know, I'm doing my day job. Um, that's why it's such a such a, a pleasure and a privilege to be to be in that position. So I yeah, approach it from a point of view of look, I know I'm not from a traditional background here. I know that you all think that I have something to prove. Uh, and if I were you, I'd be just as suspicious, perhaps. Suspicious might be too strong a word, but you know, I, I'd have questions as well. So rather than, I've done some media stuff, but rather than speak to every microphone that's put in front of my face, and as president of the SEC, quite a few microphones do get put in front of your face, like quite a lot of option, uh, opportunities to speak to the media, rather than 
blah blahing um, in front of every microphone. I'm just trying to quietly put my head down and get on with the work of making this the best press club it can be. Um, through things like planning the journalism conference, through things like issuing more statements, through things like working with HKGA um, in their uh, work against the uh, injunction to glory to Hong Kong, just through things like the the lunchtime panels we had over the last couple of months, one on the on the district councils, one on the national security law, and to try to bring newsmakers into the club again to talk about um, the issues that matter, to ask serious, sober questions uh, respectfully to newsmakers, and do what the FEC has already always done, which is bring journalists together and talk about these issues that are at the centre of Hong Kong civic life. At times, you do hear on social media especially, that the FCC has just become a drinking club. Mm -hmm. And at some point, originally, I guess, it it was just a drinking club where people came together, uh, just a bunch of journalists that wanted to drink. Then it it went into more of a press club. And then over the pandemic and after 2020 NSL laws, it went back being a bit of a drinking club. Where are you aiming? Is it going to be a a mesh of those? Or are you looking to make it more of a press club, like in Australia where you have the press club and you get the leaders of the government come in and talk? Or is it going to be more, just hold back a bit more in the um, new normal? One of the first things uh, I said uh, when I became president, uh, Hong Kong Free Press were asking me exactly that question, what kind of president I wanted to be. And I said, I didn't run to be president of the FCC to run a restaurant and bar. That has no interest in me whatsoever. I am running to be president. I ran to be president of one of the world's most renowned press clubs. Um, so I work as a press club. It's fundamental to it. You walk into this building, look above you. It's on the door. It says there's a foreign correspondence club. That is the spirit of the club. The way that we are organized means that the the leadership of our board will always be correspondent and journalist members. It is the soul of the place. Without that, we don't have a club. Without the press club part, the bar, the restaurant, everything else, forget it. That obviously is, it's a fantastic club. We all love coming here and having a gin and tonic, but the spirit of the place is as a press club and whether you're an associate member which is what we call our non-journalist members here at the club or whether you're a journalist member you know that when you're signing up you're you're joining the foreign correspondence club and so yeah as you mentioned we're now working under a new normal there are new so-called red lines that doesn't mean it's not our duty to hold the line and to do what we can within the law um and do the work of a press club, which should be apolitical. The work of the press club is to stand up. It's not to have a political opinion. It's not to be yellow or blue. It is just to stand up for freedom of the press in Hong Kong. And that's what we'll do. What's your biggest bugbear? Dealing with disgruntled members or disgruntled non-members? <laughs> it's an excellent question. Something that I haven't thought about yet. I'll add one in. Disgruntled ex-members. Huh? Which one of the three? Because you cop a bit, the, the, the club itself and you as the head of it cop a, like we've said earlier, cop a fair bit of stick yeah. and from all, from, from both non-members and members. Like, do you feel that the non-members that are uh, giving the club a hard time should become members <laughs> and step up or do you like just ignore that white noise and just deal with disgruntled members? So the question was, which one bugs me more? Yeah. Which one bugs you more? So I'd say none of them bug me. I think all of them are part of the role of being president. I think when you're in the public eye more, 
you don't do it for sunshine and lollipops. You understand that you're going to get criticism much more than you're going to get a pat on the back. And so again, to my earlier point, I went into that eyes wide open. None of them bugged me. And in fact, um, when these criticisms have, have taken place, you know, there's, I've seen interviews with with former presidents and, and other members who are saying, oh, this guy isn't a journalist, what's, this speaks to the new, you know, what's going on in Hong Kong and how the FCC is a husk of its former self and so on. You know, I could take that personally. I could take umbrage with that. I could go onto Twitter and, and do a Trump-esque, you know, tantrum. Instead, what I've been doing is I've been reaching out to these people individually, privately, on DM, saying, hey, we don't know each other. Uh, saw what you said. I'd love to speak with you and tell you why I think you're wrong and what I'm working on at the FCC to, to prove that you're wrong um, and bring you in board. I'd rather someone inside the tent, can I swear? You could swear. I'd rather someone inside the tent pissing out than, than outside. Yes, I'd rather they be members, but yes, we're a private members club. So I'd love them to be members and get involved, but we're also a, a civic organization and we always have been. So non-members are of course welcome to criticize us because we are an incredibly visible organization uh and one of the few prominent civic organizations remaining in hong kong do you spend much time reaching out to these people or is it less now is it died down Has the furor of your presidency kind of died down yeah a little bit um i certainly spending less time reaching out to people on dms um because the few people are commenting on it i even saw something on twitter <laughs> last month where uh it was a response to the district council talk and i think someone tweeted oh wow maybe this tactic guy is going to be going to be pretty good uh, <laughs> that's what i'm basically obviously i'm not um working and i'm not doing this for the the bully pulpit of twitter it's it's much more important than that but you know these are the kind of feedback that, that i that i want to have because i'm not trying to just talk a big game and then retreat back to my bunker in the bar and, and have a gin and tonic. I'm just trying to work quietly on these issues and let the results speak for themselves. Do you enjoy doing those panels or is it, because um, this is kind of outside of your uh, normal, I know you do your podcast with the Gen T people, but I mean, this that's a network of people that want to be there. And yep. Sometimes you've got guests that uh, have differing opinions, we should say. How do you find that uh, hosting and, and moderating? Yeah, there's certain skills which are transferable. So I do a lot of public speaking and moderate a lot of panels uh, and, and have done for many years. Um, these are of a different flavor, as you mentioned. Um, but I mean, that makes it all the more exhilarating because we're talking about the, the essential issues. Um, and yeah, a lot of the a lot of the uh, the skills are transferable. But yeah, certainly a lot of panels. I mean, a lot of panels in Hong Kong that are done by a lot of different media organizations are mostly questions of, you're awesome. How, why are you so awesome? Why yes. is your company so awesome? And obviously, those are not the kind of questions we ask at the FCC. And you know what? Those are the questions that are actually really fun to ask, the questions that we ask at the FCC, because we're trying to get to the bottom of things. We're trying to ask questions to reveal truth. And um, that's a whole lot of fun. Yeah. So you don't feel uncomfortable asking hard questions, because I feel terrible. If I'm asking somebody a question I know they're not going to like, I always tense up and I'm like, oh, here we go. They're going to start screaming at me. That doesn't bother you? Nah, because uh, they knew they were going to be asked a difficult question. Yeah, true. They came onto the stage of the FCC. They're not going to get P-rollers. And so it's my duty, it's my responsibility at that point to respectfully ask difficult questions. And do they leave happy? Have you ever had a guest that you moderated a panel of give you a mouthful after you step down? Uh, not yet. 
Okay. But, uh, you know, ask me in a year. <laughs> okay. Now we're going to go uh, back and do a bit more backstory on Lee Williamson, the yeah. president of the Foreign Correspondents Club. You studied politics at university in the UK. Yep. Any interest in going into politics aside from being the president here at the FCC, whether here in Hong Kong or the UK? It's a loaded question because uh, a little birdie told me something, but go on. Oh, it's a loaded question because a little birdie told you, as in actually someone has already told you the answer to this question. Yes, so now you're asking correct. me. That's not a loaded question. No, it's not. You're right. That is it's, uh, more, yeah. you're just getting me to say something you want me to say. Oh, I'm just going to see what you say about <laughs> it from what I was uh, told um, in my research. Sure. Uh, I, um, yeah, I studied politics at university. I, uh, one day back home, uh, one of my aspirations is to become a member of parliament. Um, so yeah, very much. Um, uh, that's in the long Most term that's what I was future. Ask how, how long, I mean, you are 38. What, 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 uh, what age bracket would you be thinking of, um, going into politics in the a UK? A goal I set myself is I want to be an MP before I'm 50. Okay. That's just a personal goal I set myself and, um, I'm way away from um, all the different steps I'd have to take to get there. Uh, but yeah, that is it's interesting that a little birdie told you that. I'm going to have to find out who that birdie is. <laughs> ah, there's no secrets at the FCC, yeah, my that's, friend. That's true. Every time I walk in, I, look, I, I, I ran. Journalists are the leakiest people. I, this this building is the leakiest thing. I mean, you talk about how old this building is and it's a, a historic site. It, the, the piping's not the leakiest thing in this building. <laughs> it is the actual members. The one's a close second, though. Yeah. <laughs> it is a very historic but old building. Uh, on that, um, I was doing a little bit more research mm. and that uh, when you finished high school, you didn't even want to do politics or journalism. You wanted to do law. So you studied politics, wanted to be a lawyer, and now you're running Tatler uh, Gen C. How did that all happen? Because law, politics, and then the Tatler magazine is a strange mix. Who the hell have you been talking to? Did you call my mum? I'm not saying, but uh, hello, Lee's mum, if you're listening. (laughs) So uh, part of that is right. Uh, When I was a, a, uh, when I was a, School. When I was at high school, I uh, I wanted to be a lawyer, but actually that was the um, that was more of a I'd wanted I'd, I'd said that when grown ups asked me what I wanted to do when I was older from like the age of nine, just because it seemed like a, a profession that is respected and people do, and it involves kind of talking in public, which I quite like doing even as a kid. Uh, and then when it came time to the UCAS form, which is the university application in the UK, I was like, oh, wait, actually, do I want to be a lawyer? Have I always just been saying this? Uh, so last minute, I did a 180, and uh, I also started getting into alternative music at that time. There were a bunch of bands, I think, to like The Clash and The Manic Street Preachers and a lot of bands that were like, and then building a reading list based on these bands. So sort of like reading like Camus and like Noam Chomsky and, and, and things like this, like no logo by name, Naomi Klein just come out. So I started to be a bit of a like kind of anti, anti-corporate guy, um, you know, my, my angst period. Yeah. Um, and uh, so we started like, I want to study politics. And it was mostly driven by uh, the love of like political music that I just started to get into. Uh, so yeah, that's how, that's how politics happened. So how did you go from politics then to journalism? Again, I kind of stumbled into it. There's a great John Lennon quote, which is a bit of a cliche now that, you know, life is what happens. It happens when you're making other plans. Um, you know, I don't want to get too deep and therapized on this podcast, Aaron, but, um, you know, I, I, I wasn't really thinking long term. I, it wasn't like I'd 
don't know. I just for some reason wasn't. So I, um, after graduating, bummed around for a year or so. And then uh, the Beijing Olympics happened in 2008. And it seemed fascinating, the opening up of China, China's rising. Remember, you know, it's difficult to, to recall that now, but to put yourself back into those 2008, 2009 days, the narrative around China was the modernization and the liberalization and the opening up and China's going to be this new and superpower. And, you know, the, the story was, was they, they were good news about, about, about China back then for the most part. And so that fascinated me. So I jumped on a plane and went to go teach English uh, for a year or so in a, in a city called Hangzhou, which I thought was a small town. Which is where the Asian Games are this year. Yes, which I thought was a small town uh, and turns out <laughs> to have a population bigger than London. Um, and then started working uh, as an English teacher there for a year or so. Bit of arrested development, to be honest. Just like figuring out what the hell I wanted to do, probably drinking too much. And then uh, started working for the local RAG. And then was like, uh, you know, a local lifestyle and listings, time out, type magazine, they did the culture and things like that and loved it and was like, oh, this is what I want to do. Got it. And so I started doing that. How did your parents feel when you've gone from telling them you wanted to be a lawyer to doing politics because you liked the clash to drinking too much in Hangzhou? I didn't know about the drinking too much in Hangzhou. Well, although I think they, they, probably, were there. they probably had a, a, an inkling or two. My parents have always been very, very supportive. I've definitely never had tiger parents. Um, you know, they were uh, supportive of everything I do as long as I was a good person uh, and, you know, and a, and a, and a good son. Um, you know, these familiar values are obviously there, but there was never an expectation of you must achieve this or that. It was be happy in, in whatever you do. Um, you know, I was the first in my family to go to university. You know, I... Um, I was the same. Yeah. And I got a job as a journalist um, before I graduated. Wow. You should have seen how disappointed my mum was. Really? She'd been bragging for however long I was at university that I was going to be the first one with a piece of paper in the family on the wall. Mm -hmm. And with one and a half units to go, I said, I'm out. I've got a job. I don't need the piece of paper. Oh, my God, no. Yeah, she was devastated. It's a very trip ahead thing to do. That is interesting. Mm. Do what? you regret it now looking back? No. I never... I. It was a means to end it. Like you said, you, you, you discover the journey as you're going. When I went finished university, uh, high school, I had no idea what I wanted to do. Yeah. So I just went and did the general Bachelor of Arts at mm -hmm. University of Western Australia. I may have got kicked out and went back and went, okay, I really like talking. I want to be a radio announcer. Mm -hmm. And so the radio announcing school that they had, like a TAFE, closed down that year. So I couldn't go. So I went, well, how do I get to be a radio announcer? I'll be a radio journalist. Mm. So I did journalism and I majored in um, radio journalism and I topped my class in, in third year. I won the awards for photography and, 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 and radio and then I was offered a job. And I went, well, okay, I've got a job. The piece of paper is supposed to get me a job. Instead of being a cadet, I'm going in as a grade one. Off I go. But my mum was devastated. She's still... Reminds me of it to this day. When you're a kid, you 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 think you know everything, and you also have a very kind of short-termist outlook. Absolutely, so you yep. don't think, oh, in my forties, I might go back and go, oh, maybe I should spend an extra couple of months just finishing that thing. Mm. You, you don't have that perspective, no. And as a parent now, if my daughter, who's at university, was to pull that, I'd be furious. Yeah, you would be disappointed. I was going to say, I'd be incandescent with rage. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'd, I'd be throwing things and saying, what are you doing? What are you doing? But then I have to go back and look at myself and go, uh, okay, 
Maybe she knows what she's doing. We'll see. <laughs> Haven't got to that point yet. Anyway, now I think that's back- the role of a parent is to um, be let them know that you were a kid once too and you made a few mistakes so they can feel comfortable enough to share things with you and don't hide them because that's often where the, the real danger begins uh, so let them know to an extent that you you know walk to the wild side a bit occasionally in your youth but not reveal too much you have so they se- know the full extent you have a seven year old trailblazer you were come and talk to me when you've got a teen exactly I've had I've now got two teens and that's uh, yeah talking uh, grunting is about as much conversation as you get but anyway <laughs> Back to the FCC, yeah. and I want to point uh, touch on something that you talked about earlier: the humanitarian um, award, the the human rights award, human rights press award. Yeah, you weren't happy with the decision. Is is that now done? It can't come back, or is there a, a process where you think it can come back to the FCC, Hong Kong? To clarify, I didn't say that I wasn't happy with the decision. What I said was, um, I wasn't in the room, and so. Yeah, I have my personal opinions on it, but I think as president of this club, there's some things that, yeah, I have my opinions on that are the same as the opinion of the the role of the president, if you will, that I'll talk about. And there's other things where maybe it's just not useful for me to talk about what I what I think about that, because you know what, that was a couple of years ago now, mm-hmm. and I'm trying to move us forward and pull us together in a common direction. It's such a cliche, I know, but I'm going to say it anyway. Mm. Like. The journalists who have different opinions on, on HRPA, there is more that unites us than divides us. So I'm trying to just focus on that. Okay. So taking the opinion out, which I I, I got, I, I worded incorrectly, mm. and then just going back as a, as a board that's going forward in 2023-24, is it on the table to talk about or is it not something that is going to be looked at this year? We haven't been looking at it. Okay, now, where do you see the FCC in, say, a year's time and in a decade's time? Is, is can you can you have you got some forward vision that you're you're looking for for the FCC? So, I think the the future of the FCC is intertwined with the future of Hong Kong and uh, and the Hong Kong political landscape. My job as steward of this club for the next nine months and the role of all future presidents is to is to do just that, it's a steward, is to try and be a good camper and leave the place in a better uh, condition than when you arrived. And that's what I'm trying to do at this point. Um, that involves definitely on the board level having conversations about contingencies and taking our fiduciary responsibility as a board for this institution, which is 80 years old this year, for this club, very, very seriously and thinking about the different options. So what we're doing is, yeah, behind the scenes, planning, developing contingency situations and just trying to professionalize our ops as much as possible so that we're ready for whatever those challenges are. Because there's some things that we can control, Aaron, and there's some things that we really can't. And so we're just doing what we can to take these issues very, very seriously, to have serious conversations with them ahead of time so we're not caught by surprise by what might happen. You mentioned NSL. That is obviously the um, the elephant in the room for a lot of journalists. How is How do you and the FCC, do you have a book of red lines or is it just in your head you know what you can and can't do? Is it as tight a lane as sometimes suggested in 
the media or do you think there is freedom either side to to, to continue with um, FCC projects? Well, as you know, Aaron, well, intimately, no one has a book of red lines because no one knows exactly what they are. That's kind of the whole point. And they also keep shifting to an extent. I think the FCC and, and other organizations do feel uh, like they're being kettled somewhat. Like the, the space to operate is slowly being restricted. We do what we can to, within the law, push against that and uh, well, not push against it even, but just to continue with our operations as we have, because as we see them, they fall within the laws of the land. The, you know, the basic law, China's constitution, the national security law all have um, their clauses that speak to freedom of the press, freedom of expression, freedom of association. So as far as we're concerned, we're working within the law. There are no red lines, but we're also not stupid. And so we are, yeah, constantly have making those calculations as to to what extent can we hold, you know, can we push back here? Where Where is the line that we hold and we stand with? And, and where is something that, you know, is going to end up with me in an orange jumpsuit? That's what. That's the, those, those are the calculations that we're making that every civic organization now has to make. Is that stressful for you as the president, especially not just for the club, but like for your family as well? Nah, no worries, mate. <laughs> yeah, of course it is. Uh, that's what I always like to say. Of course it is. Um, it's uh, it's a tense time. Of course it is. But, you know, that's why... And that's why I don't get annoyed with people on the outside throwing stones. That's their right. That's the good, great thing about free and, and fair press and, you know, and a robust civic society. This is what we want to see. But... That's why occasionally get, it, you know, one does get somewhat frustrated because the people on the board are the ones taking on that stress voluntarily because they love this place and this institution and they want to see it moving forward. We may disagree on certain issues and certain ways to get that done, but everybody on the board is working towards that common goal. Uh, you know, our, our mission at the FCC, despite the risks that they're very well aware of. So you're three months, one quarter of your way into your first term as president. Do you feel like it's a job you're going to run for again at this point? Or is it fluid? Are you confident you, you want to go for a second term? Or at the moment, you will, it's a wait and see? If nine months from now, I have the support of, of the board and of the membership, um, then I will strongly consider running for a second term to be elected. Um, on the proviso that I'm not burnt out. Which is leading into my last question, in fact. Which, uh, so, I mean, you're running three jobs. Family, FCC, Tatler GT, uh, Gen T. Uh, yeah. I mean, do you feel like you might get burnt out within the next uh, nine months? Um, actually, one of the things that I've been working on the last month or so is looking after myself, first and foremost. So just making sure I get enough sleep no matter what's going on. Uh, I've cut out drinking, eating healthier, working out more. Uh, and just really just trying to live like as saintly a life as I can. Um, because I think the first thing you could, uh, the best way to handle a lot is to look after yourself first and then put yourself in the best possible condition to be able to do that. The first month or so, kind of eating crappily, wasn't wasn't running as much. I'm a big runner and, and these kinds of things because I had all this kind of basically just hours. I didn't have any time left in my day after everything else had, had kind of taken it. 
Um, and I was, I did feel like my battery was being depleted rapidly. Uh, yeah, I went away for a week and then came back and now, um, uh, have a, just a different perspective. And first and foremost, I think the best thing you can do in any stressful situation in, in any period where you're incredibly busy is first off, look after yourself. Cause if you're not doing that, if you're not making yourself as strong as you can be, you are in no fit state to do everything else. That's one way that I'm personally dealing with it. Um, so I'm getting better, I think, at managing the two where I'll be in nine months. Let's see how it goes. You, we talked about the three jobs, the family, the FCC, Tatler, Gen C. If you took all of them away, how would you spend your downtime? Uh, are you a sports fan or you do a couch potato? How, how would you spend your downtime if it was ever possible? <laughs> My New Year's resolution this year is to cut out uh, all social media at home and also all TV. So, um, try, and that's part of how I'm making time as well, by the way. Is that TV for you or for the family? Oh, I would never impose that on my, on my family. Okay. No. Uh, yeah, no, that's just me, uh, making sure that I really do have as much time in the day as possible for productive things plus sleep. Um, how does a gen, gen Y, the millennials yeah. cut out social media? Netflix, TV, the whole box of dice. I mean, that's that's like going cold too. Well, I kind of have social media at home. So like when I'm in the office, when I'm at the club, when I'm on my commute home, whatever it is, of course I have to be on social media for my job. Mm. Um, but it's just like, there's no doom scrolling at home. Um, yeah, th th that's impossible. Um, it also just makes me go to bed later because I'm just there with the blue light, just looking at that. Aaron just pointed to himself. Yeah, I'm a doom scroller. I'm addicted to Instagram reels. Yeah. I don't know why. I mean, the one great thing that happened from 2020 with the NSL is TikTok being banned in Hong Kong because <laughs> that would just be a nightmare. I would just never go to sleep. Yeah. No, TikTok is a fentanyl of uh, of social media. Absolutely. And uh, I've done the same. I've actually had to unplug. I have to go to bed and I plug my phone in, shut it down, don't even open it up if I'm in going to bed because yeah. otherwise it's, it's, it's 3 a.m. I don't know what's going on. Yeah. So, so, uh, so I'm not doing those things. I'm not a couch potato. Uh, I'm a football fan. I'm a runner. We're talking uh, soccer football. Uh, actual football. Yeah, yeah. The one you play with your feet. Yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah. Okay. Uh, just, just, just confirming. There's many footballs out there. There's one original football. You might, you might be a closet American football fan. Who knows? Obviously not. Who do you support? Aston Villa. I'm originally from Birmingham, so I lost the accent, uh, but you look at videos of me, home movies, uh, at Christmas stuff, I had a really thick, brummy accent, uh, and then moved away when I was eight and, and lost it. Um, thanks, Mom and Dad, for that. No offense to people from Birmingham, but... Um, you are one. I am, indeed. I'm a proud uh, Aston Villa fan, and my family still is from Birmingham, and everyone has the accent. Um, yeah. Do you, are you, we were talking before we started recording about I'm a cricket tragic. Uh, you're not yeah. such. Yeah. Um, but you do don't you don't mind rugby? Uh, I would I take a passing interest in uh, cricket, rugby, uh, tennis. Uh, but I'm a football fan, and you know, keep up to date with news, listen to podcasts about football, play fantasy football. Like that's my that's my sport. But that that would mean being up late to watch the games. Sometimes. Okay, so maybe that's cutting the TV out. Oh, actually, yeah, yeah. This is getting way too granular for anyone to give <laughs> a damn about. But um, yeah, I have one. Uh, there's one exception to the no TV rule, which is watching live sport. Okay. Because, like, I'm only human, Aaron. Yeah. So at least it's Villa. on the weekend, usually. Yeah, exactly. i got to watch Villa. i got to watch uh, the Lionesses in the Women's World Cup. Um, yeah, there's a couple of exceptions. Fantastic. Lee Williamson, president of the Foreign Correspondents Club Hong Kong. Thank you for joining me today. I have a little present for you. Here you are. Wow. Well, thank you, Aaron. It's been um, a pleasure to be invited. I really enjoyed our conversation. Um, 
I know your show is for newsmakers and shakers. Uh, that's you. I don't know which one I am. You're both. Am I a shaker? What's a shaker? I have no idea. Okay. It just rhymes. I think I'm more of a shaker. It just does rhyme. <laughs> I think I'm more of a shaker than a newsmaker. Don't ask me tough. I'm the one asking the tough questions, I know, Lee. Right? Don't ask me. Uh, so no, I don't know uh, the answer I to. I that up because, uh, yeah, no, it was, uh, uh, I was grateful to be invited given um, the the fantastic guests you've had previously. Oh, wow. It is a mug. It's a trip ahead mug. It's a trip ahead mug. You are the fourth recipient. There you go. A coveted trip ahead mug. That's yeah. fantastic. It's got the podcast logo you're looking at right now. Podcast logo with the glasses. Oh, you can never have laser eye surgery. It's like your brand name. I, I can't change that silly logo. I can't change the stupid name. And I every time I wear these glasses, someone down the street goes, oh, you're a trip ahead. <laughs> so if I want to go incognito, I just wear black glasses and I'm fine. There you go. Lee Williamson, president of the FCC. Thank you so much for joining me on the Trip Ahead Talk and Tea podcast. Cheers, Aaron. Tripperhead's Talking Tea is written, produced, and published by Aaron Bush for Tripperhead Limited. Additional voices by Jade Bush. Copyright 2023.